Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Dude, I forgot to tell all the good stories. Hey there, friends. What is up? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Having a Blast. My name is Kyle. Today I'm excited because I'm talking to a member of one of my favorite bands of all time, really, Mr. Tim Grisnick, the drummer for Inspection 12. But he's also the drummer for The Softer Side, the John Carver Band. He played in a project called Sensei. He tells me about the first band that he did with Dan McClintock, the singer of Inspection 12. We talk about growing up in the Jacksonville scene and just how many bands were associated with that scene. There's a lot of people that we met that play in different bands. Pete, who also played in Inspection 12, went on to be the bass player for Yellow Card for many years. So there's a lot of cross-connection, and I mentioned it to him game time when we were touring. We were listening to their albums In Recovery and Get Rad on repeat all the time. Those are really special records for us. And I really appreciate Tim giving me his time today. It was so much fun learning about his story, his history, as well as the band's history. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Tim Grisnick of The Softer Side, Inspection 12, and the John Carver Band. How are you, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Awesome. Getting set up here. Cool. Okay. Well, it's yeah. nice to meet you via Zoom, man. I've been following yeah. you for a while. Thank you for agreeing to do this on a Saturday. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I've got a lot of questions. I sent you some of them last night. Cool. But, yeah, man. That's awesome. Thanks for, I appreciate you inviting me on here. Yeah, for sure, dude. I was actually listening to Get Rad this morning, just in preparation oh, nice. for this. It had yeah. been a minute. So I just wanted to know a little bit about you. How did you get into drums and specifically, how did you get into music? My first memories of, I, I feel like I'm anxious right now. <laughs> uh, you can probably tell. <laughs> no worries, my man. Okay. Dude, I appreciate you being so forthcoming. I'm a fairly totally. anxious person, just so you know. Yeah. I've struggled with anxiety in the past. That's one of the reasons I started exercising again. That's kind of yeah. why I'm always posting about exercise and stuff. And you've probably heard me talk about it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I was having debilitating panic attacks at one point and I was on medication for five years. So I just want you to know you're in good company. We're <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I musicians, man. We're anxious I... people. Yeah, I feel like I'll settle in, but maybe it'll take me a few minutes or something like yeah. just to kind of get my thoughts flowing and get comfortable because I've actually never done this before. So yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you. I like having people from the bands that aren't being asked all the time because I feel like the singer is always being asked. Right. Which, 
you know, I think that's just par for the course. That's an old way of doing press for anything that you're releasing. The front person always has to be the face of it. There's just so many other band members that I want to talk to and I want to hear behind the scenes stuff and I want to hear their stories. So yeah, for sure, man. Are you a fan of podcasts? Um, yeah, I listened to yours. I listened to, I listened to the Dogwood episode you did. Awesome, man. Which was really cool. Yeah. I listened to like the Talking Records one a bunch. Yeah, he's great. Jed? Yeah, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the people that I work with, because I'm a personal trainer by trade, that's what I do during the day. Yeah. A lot of the people that I work with, that's a big component to why they're exercising regularly for their own mental health and for their own well-being. What do you yeah. do for a living? Out of um, I work for CSX. So I'm in logistics. Yep. Cool. What is CSX? What do they do? It's the railroad. So it, it's like one of the biggest class one railroads in the country. Yep. So cool. Great shipping. Brad, I have a bunch of friends that work for the railroad here in town. I'm from Kansas okay. City, but I'm living in Lawrence. I don't know if you've ever been here, but they're 45 minutes away from each other. Gotcha. Yeah. So I it's kind of the same thing, but not really. Right. What company do they work for? Do you know? I don't. I should find out. They always yeah. just say the railroad. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I have a lot of friends that do that and they do really well and they really enjoy it. It was difficult during COVID because they were lower on the totem pole as far as seniority goes. So there was a period of time where they were essentially laid off. And one of my friends who works for the railroad, he was also a personal trainer. So he was doing that at my personal training space part-time just to kind of keep working during COVID. And I have a tiny personal training space. So it's nice because you're just working one-on-one. There was a period of time where I would just wear a mask while my person was working out in that same space. So they were working there part-time when me and my business partner weren't there. So that was cool, but he was coming in more frequently and I was chatting with him, but that was the situation. He didn't have seniority. So he had to basically wait for there to be enough work for him to come back. I gotcha. Yep. So you have your own little space you work from? Yeah, it's just a tiny space. It's pretty punk rock, honestly. It's pretty cool. Me and my business partner, I was in a band with him for many, many years and he had a bit of a physical transformation about 10 years ago. We were living together and he got certified. So I watched him go through the process and that made it seem possible. That made it seem like, oh, this is actually doable. He works with me in there. It's in the back of a, an old locally owned movie theater. And okay. our friend, our mutual friend owns the movie theater. And he's actually a couple of years younger than me. So it's pretty cool. It's a part of town that's a little art district. There's one main street. It's almost like a college town without a college. Sure. Right. So it's Yeah, it's cool. Awesome, man. That's very yeah. cool. So, so I was going through the Inspection 12 social media stuff last night mm-hmm. and it dawned on me. I think I remember seeing it when you guys posted it, but it's been 20 years since In Recovery came out. Yes. Which is insane to think about the fact that it's been 20 years since 2001. I'm sure that's weird for you too. Absolutely. You guys played a show, right? Didn't you guys open for Mayday Parade? Yeah. Just a few weeks ago, we played in St. Augustine. Cool. We- yeah, made a parade at the St. Augustine Amphitheater out in St. Augustine. So that's yeah, rad. How was it? It was awesome, man. It was definitely one of the coolest venues I've ever played. Like backstage, we had our own. It was like a suite. We had like a two room backstage. It was really cool backstage. Nice. Shower, bathroom. Very cool, man. They treated the second I got there. There was like five people that came up to my car and helped me unload all my stuff. I was wow. like, man, this is the five star resort of. of playing punk rock exactly yeah that's cool did you meet the mayday parade dudes we didn't they actually had a covid outbreak oh really within their band the the day of that show so they were pretty secluded i actually actually, 
now that I think about it, I think it was their drummer, Jake. Yes, I think you're right. Yep. Yeah, that's so, a bummer. I saw this singer during soundcheck like once and that was kind of, I think they were trying to lay pretty low. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. I was in a band called The American Life after game time. And this was two different segments of my life because there was a two year period where I didn't play music. Mm-hmm. And The American Life actually went to record the first EP with somebody else. We demoed with another guy, but we went to Atlanta to record with these guys named Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're from Atlanta, but they did a lot of the Mayday Parade stuff. They did their first record. We played a show or two with them and they were cool dudes. Nice. Well, cool. Who else played that show? Flag on Fire. Which is, is that Warren Cook's band? That's Warren. Yep. From Yellow Card. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Yeah, this is cool. So I think you and I, we have a lot of loose connections because when I first met Yellow Card, Warren was still in the band. Okay. Is he from the same area as you? Jacksonville? Yeah, he's from Jacksonville area. Yep. Okay, the, cool. The Yellow Card, the whole band started down here. Did you guys go to school together? We, how did you guys meet? They went to a school called Douglas Anderson and I didn't go there. We just kind of met through mutual friends. I was good. I can kind of go back to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. uh, How'd you get into music? Okay. So I, when I first started playing, when I was really young, my parents got me this Fisher Price. It was like a plastic drum and it had little percussion instruments in it. And that was like the first toy that kind of got me really started on loving drums. And then I remember anywhere I went, I would always focus on the drummer. I remember there's a restaurant in Atlantic Beach, Florida called Ragtime. It's actually still there. And they had a window like up against where the live band would play. I just remember like watching the drummer. I just loved, I was always super focused on the drummer wherever I went, you know, just knew I wanted to play. And then in kindergarten, Dan McClintock from I-12, he and I were like immediately friends. There was some sort of friendship thing that would just pull us together. And we started, we, I just remember like we would sing um, Beach Boys, Barbara Ann on the playground. (laughs) We just loved music from a young age. And then like fast forward a few years in about fourth grade, I was probably about 10. We got the Black Album by Metallica. And that thing, I like I literally listened to that album probably every day for a year straight. It was huge for me and him. And so that was kind of the beginning of it all. And then Did you learn those songs? Yeah. I started taking less he and I decided to start playing music together mm-hmm. shortly after that. And I started taking drum lessons and he started taking bass. And I, I started out with just like a drum pad and sticks, you know. I didn't have a kit or anything for a couple of years. But once I got a kit, yeah, I started trying to learn how to play like Metallica. Very cool. So did you have one of those little practice pads? Yeah, it was just a little rubber pad, right? The first drummer that I ever met, he lived at the end of my street. We were actually in our first band together, but we took lessons together like that. Uh-huh. And I'm still friends with them to this day, which is kind of cool. There's that parallel, but I remember he would bring that little pad to school and just work on his paradiddles and stuff. Right. And I think he felt on the cool desk, doing probably. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. That's awesome. So Dan started with bass. That's kind of interesting because he yeah, played he guitar in played. Inspection 12, right? Um, No, he actually played bass. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. See, I'm learning. He, he would switch off at shows. He would play guitar on a few songs here and there, but he was mainly bass and vocals. Yep. Okay. You and Dan, you guys were buds before Inspection 12. You guys met early on. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And your we were musical journey. Like kindergarten, right. And then we actually, I was trying to think of the timeline, but he, 
I think they started Inspection 12 first and we were in about seventh grade and he and I started a band called The Allergies. It was like a kind of like a Weezer sort of, we kind of had like one song that sounded like a different band. Like we had one that sounded like Rancid and one sounded like Weezer. It was just kind of a alternative slash punk, like our first or my first band. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I-12, he had that going on and then we had The Allergies. That's a great punk band name, The Allergies. Yeah, thank you. I love it. (laughs) That's really cool. So he started Inspection 12 and the allergies around seventh grade. So you guys were in middle school by then? Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. You guys got started young. That's really cool. Yep. Were you guys playing a lot of covers? We play, yeah, we started out playing covers like Nirvana, you know, Weezer, Green Day, all that stuff. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, just like music of the time. You guys were growing up with it. Yeah, exactly. I think that... Black Album was a game changer for so many people, just like Dookie was a game changer for so many people. When I first started playing guitar, I was really young. So I'm 37 and -hmm. I started playing guitar when I was around eight. And I remember learning Enter Sandman. That was the first definitive riff that I learned. Right. Yeah. And it took me forever to get it. And then I finally got it. And now it's funny because you go back to that almost like muscle memory. It's just so easy to play. Yep. Kind of writes itself. Definitely. That's cool. So there was a venue in Jacksonville called The Milk Bar. It was in downtown Jacksonville. You would walk in the front door and then you would go down a flight of stairs and it was like a basement venue. And man, they had the best. It was like, that's where like all the touring punk bands would play. So like all of our friends would go down there. I think the first show I saw there was, I think it was Blink and Down By Law, but it was Blink before they had the 182 at the end. It was like the super old Blink. Yeah, so it was awesome. And then I saw No Effects down there. And that was when they were handing out Survival of the Fattest comp. That was the kind of the comp, at least for us, where it was like, holy crap. We Game found changer, out about, right? Yeah, exactly. We found out about Strung Out, Good Riddance, Slag. Like it was just, I bought so many albums from that comp. So, but yeah, that venue was really cool. And I feel like a lot of our friends just from going to shows down there, like started bands. Like there was a band called Hat Trick. I'm not sure if you heard of them from Jacksonville. And then there was a band called Happy Hour, a ska punk band, kind of like Lesson Jake-ish. And then there was Ryan Key's first band was Modern Amusement. Not sure if you've heard of it. Yeah, I think I remember him talking about how that was his first band. Yeah. Totally. Very cool. Okay, so Inspection 12 started and you weren't in the first iteration of Inspection 12. Right. Yeah, I was not in the band. We all grew up in the same neighborhood. So Scott Shad, the drummer, he lives like just a few miles from me. Okay. And they had a practice room like above his parents' garage. And cool. I used to go, I used to go to their practices and just like hang out and watch them. And I think it was like my second drum kit I ever bought. I bought it from Scott. And we were super good friends. He was, I was always blown away by Scott because he was three years younger than me, I believe. But I mean, if you go back and listen to the first, the self-titled I-12 album, his drumming, I think he was 11 or 12 when he recorded that. Wow. And like, it's insane how fast and technical his drumming is. I mean, I was, you know, like I said, I was older than him and I was could not play even close to that <laughs> fast. Yeah, that's cool. And did he grow up on Fat Rack? 
and stuff. Yeah. Is that what he was listening to? Yeah, yeah. So we all, like I said, like Metallica was kind of the first influence for me. And then we kind of got into like Megadeth. And then it sort of transitioned over to alternative like Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, all that. Mm-hmm. And then Dookie came out. And like you said, that was game changer. Yeah, and, for sure. And then we just had like a big circle of friends that loved all these bands. And I remember like Punk and Drublick started getting spread around between our group and then like lag wagon trashed and like no fun at all's no straight angles was a big one yeah so we did all you guys that. listen to epitaph bands too like Mel and, yeah, totally. and pennywise and bad religion yep totally yep bad yeah. religion pennywise yeah and you just saw bad religion didn't you a couple nights yeah. ago yeah yep i saw him last weekend cool and was dan with you i saw that he posted a video too he was there yeah we didn't ride together but he hit me up that day and he's like you going to the show and i was like yeah man so we met up and hung it was cool that's rad that's really cool it was one of the best shows i've ever seen it was amazing (laughs) that's rad yeah so life-giving too there's you know there were so many shows we didn't go to during covid so it just going right. to see a band now is i went to see descendants a little over a month ago and while i was there i was thinking yeah i really missed this i know why i fell in love with this yes exactly so you guys had a big community i mean it was big in the sense that you had a lot of friends that were gravitating towards similar music and similar ethos as far as playing in bands and playing punk rock and i'm sure you guys were all sharing records and you listen to a comp and then you go buy the record and then somebody would borrow it yep okay cool yeah i had something similar when i was a kid yep you were in the allergies and then i know (laughs) i was looking at the wikipedia page for inspection 12 which is interesting that a band like inspection 12 has a rich history online somewhere and there is a lot of history there there's a lot of different timelines a lot of different projects that co-mingle with one another and that was the case even before inspection 12 was touring regularly and put out a record on honest dons so were they picking up steam and you were watching it happen but you guys were also in the allergies is that how it worked yeah, when you were in high yeah, school yeah so allergies was like early middle school i went on to i had like three or four other bands throughout high school just kind of learning how to play you know with other people and yeah they were definitely picking up steam they were doing really well for a local band and then in 99 which was Mm -hmm. my senior year of high school we formed the softer side with my friend brian and scott they were actually in a band called redline before softer school yeah and then, so yeah, I-12, it's kind of hard to think of the timeline, but they, let's see. Well, I know at one point, Dan, and I don't want to speak for him, but it seemed like he had this opportunity to go join Craig's brother, right? Yes. Yep. I'm not exactly totally sure on the timeline because I think the record on Honest Dons that came out in 2001, is that right? Yeah. I mean, we just talked about how it's 20 years old. Yeah. So Inspection 12 had put out a couple of releases. They were doing pretty well, but then he had this opportunity to go join Craig's brother and he did so with Ryan from Yellow Card. Yes. Yeah. So Dan got in Craig's brother first and then I guess they needed a second guitar player and Ryan tried out. Mm -hmm. So Ryan went out there too to Santa Cruz and then Dan ended up joining Limp. You're probably familiar with them. Honest Don's band too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big Limp fan. Great band. Yep. Yeah. We played a few shit. Once we started touring, we played a few shows with them in California, which was super cool. But so I think the story is when Dan was in Limp, Fat Mike got some of the I-12 albums through the Limp guys. Mm -hmm. And that's when he decided to sign them to Honest Songs. Cool. Yeah. So Fat Mike was signing bands for Honest Dons. Yes, I believe so. Yep. Okay. 
I'm piecing it together. You're helping me. I appreciate this. Yeah. For the longest time, I wasn't quite sure what Honest Don's was. There was a point where I thought maybe Joey from Lagwagon had something to do with it, but he apparently had another record label. It had distribution through similar channels as Fat, I think. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure, but looking back, whenever I hear Fat Mike talk about Honest Don's, it's almost like Honest Don's was the label where he could put out bands that he liked that he didn't necessarily think fit perfectly to the mold of whatever Fat Records was. Yes, agreed. Yep. Which is cool because we got a lot of really great music. I remember Limp specifically and me finding Inspection 12 through a Fat Records comp, but it had Honest Don's bands on it. And it was a free comp that I got at a show. Right. I remember hearing, I'm pretty sure it was a demo version of one of the songs on that first record that I heard on Honest Don's. In recovery. Okay. I almost said in eulogy and I'm like, no. Your brain, what are you doing? (laughs) In recovery, I heard a demo on that particular comp and I loved it. And so I was eagerly awaiting for In Recovery to come out. I remember seeing that on some catalogs that Fat Records was putting out. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's starting to make a little bit more sense. So you were in several bands and you started the softer side in 1999. Is that when you guys started playing? Yep. 99. Yep. Okay. So around that time, Dan goes to California to play for Craig's brother. And then pretty quickly he's in limp and then they get the demos in the hands of fat Mike, fat Mike likes what he hears and he wants to sign inspection 12. And so at that point, Dan came back to Florida. Right. Okay. And then that was probably the motivation he needed or the incentive that he needed to quickly get a record out. Or maybe not quickly, but he was incentivized to do a record with Inspection 12. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. And then if you don't mind, can you tell me how you transitioned into Inspection 12? I know this story loosely just because I remember that time period and I remember talking to the Yellow Card guys about it. Yeah, so so you know, like Scott Shedd passed away in 2001. He was diabetic and he, he was in a car accident. So obviously it was super tough time for all of us. But I mean, they were just about to release In Recovery when he passed away, I th- he passed away in March of 2001, and I think it was coming out in May. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they had a ton of steam going at that point. I mean, they were the biggest they'd ever been in Jacksonville. And, you know, so they kind of debated, like, are we going to keep going or what are we going to do? And they decided they wanted to keep going, and they auditioned me. I think they auditioned one or two other drummers, too. And so, like, I was actually in Gainesville at that time. I was in college for four years, and... Mm-hmm. Pete would drive to Gainesville. It's it's only about an hour and a half southwest of Jacksonville. Okay. So he would drive to Gainesville and practice with me, like help. We would work on the songs. And so I ended up joining the band. And then I think our first show was in Gainesville. It was kind of, I can't remember how many people, probably like a couple hundred, a little smaller. But the cool. second show, the second show I ever played with I-12 was the next night at a club called Club 5 in jacksonville it was the in recovery cd release show and it was like it was like a thousand people it was huge it was the biggest show they'd ever played we actually uploaded it to youtube recently that might have been what you mentioned earlier that you saw yeah i saw some live footage wow so that was your second show that was my second show with the band yeah wow it was insane I'll bet. And you were still in college. Yeah, I was still in college. Yep. Wow. So that was probably a little bit of a whirlwind for all of you guys. They're grieving their friend. They're trying to grieve their friend. They've just gone through something traumatic. And you're probably wrestling with the idea of, 
uprooting your college experience. Right. Exactly. Okay. And then yeah. they, did they have plans to go out on the road at that point? No, I guess we started talking about it pretty shortly. I think our first tour was just a couple months later. I actually found the laminate. We did a tour with Yellow Card in 01 for, yeah, it was like an East. We started out on the East Coast and then went out West. Cool. Yeah. So had they already moved out to California? Yes, they had. Okay. So they came back and then you guys went up to the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. We went out and stayed with them. That was super cool. Cause we met, that's where we met like the Craig's brother guys. I met Steven Newfeld. He was cool. in Hey Mike at the time. And they just like took us in like brothers. They loved I-12. So right when we got there, they were super stoked. Like nicest guys. We, we stayed at their house and like hung out with them for the whole week. It was really cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I met yellow card around that same time. I want to say it was the end of 2001 and it may have been early 2002, but I remember one for the kids had just come out. It had a lot of buzz on mp3.com. I remember hearing sure shot on mp3.com. Right. And I was booking shows. I say booking shows, but it was very loose. I was just a point person. Somehow people heard that I was the person to talk to. I was only Mm -hmm. 16 years old, but I remember I booked a show for Park or I booked two shows for Park and Park was on the same label as Yellow Card. They were on Lobster Records and they hit me up maybe two weeks before the show and they said, hey, we're bringing a friend's band out. They just got signed to Lobster. They just put out a great record. They're called Yellow Card. Can they play the show as well? And me being 16, I was just thinking, yeah, sure whatever. (laughs) You know, I don't know if they're going to get paid anything, but here's a show. But I remember that was the first time I had heard of Yellow Card and they ended up staying with me for a couple nights and game time played both shows. I remember vividly, we were actually here in Lawrence, Kansas, because we played one show in Lawrence and then one in Kansas City. And we were practicing three-part harmony part backstage or something at the bottleneck in Lawrence, Kansas, this tiny venue. And this is the first time we played with Yellow Card. So it was the first night I met with those guys. And I remember, I think it was Sean and Ryan, they both came up to us right after we finished rehearsing a little bit like off stage. And they were impressed with the fact that we were doing three-part harmonies, but they immediately said that we reminded them of Inspection 12. Oh, wow. Their buddy band from back home. Oh yeah, I've heard of them. That's really cool. I appreciate the compliment. Yeah, I remember vividly that was the first thing that we connected over. Gotcha. That's really cool. But yeah, that was one of the reasons we even knew those guys at all, just because we hung out with them and they ended up staying with me and my parents at my parents' house. They did that a few more times the next year and a half, just coming through the middle of the country. That's cool. So yeah, crazy connections, man. Satellite people. Exactly. It's a small world out there. Well, cool. Okay. So you guys did the tour with Yellow Card. That would have been an amazing thing to witness. I wish you guys had some footage of that. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any, but that would be really cool to see. It may just unearth at some point, you know, it's crazy what some people... They'll go back to their parents' house and they'll pull out that old camcorder and they find old shows that they recorded. It's just crazy. But you went on tour with Yellow Card with Inspection 12. And then you were also in the softer side at that point? Yeah, yeah. We were still playing. We softer side, we pretty much stayed regional for our whole career. Yeah, we like our first EP was recorded in 99, which was before I was in I-12. And then in 02, we did Stories for the Modern Retailer, which was our first full length. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so like pretty much whenever I would come back from tour, we would play little regional shows. Like we played a couple warp tours here and there, Orlando, Tampa. And yeah, so both bands were active, but I-12 was the only one that was really touring at that time. Okay. Cool. After the yellow card tour, were there any other tours after that? Did you guys have a booking agent? 
We did. Yep. Yeah. We had a, a local booking agent that helped us. Awesome. Still there, buddy? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Cut out Zoom. Yeah. It does that. <laughs> well, I should have mentioned it before. My internet's been a little on and off lately. So, yeah. 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 If it happens, no biggie. Yeah. yeah. If we come back to it, I can edit all that out. It's all good. Usually okay. it's me. I mean, it very well may happen to me. My internet's spotty down here in my office. So, <laughs> it happens, man. I thought it might happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. It par for the course with Zoom. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, cool. So you guys had a local booking agent helping you guys out. And I have a story. When we were on tour in California, we went to San Francisco and we met up with Fat Mike out there. And he oh, cool. let, uh, he took us to the Fat Records office. And I remember we were just talking to him in his office and he was showing us around and like took us to where all the merch was. And I remember I was just like, I was just thinking about how like a couple years ago I was you know, like a freshman in high school, just looking up so much to all those bands. And now I'm in the office of this label. Like it was just one of those moments where you're like, what the <laughs> So Probably pretty surreal, right? Listening to Survival of the Fattest, discovering all those bands, and then being on one of those compilations. Exactly. Yep. Very surreal. Just one of those moments, right? And then we played, I think it was that night, we played Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco. Right. Who'd you and- play with? We played, I can't remember which tour that was. It might have been with, I can't remember if it may have been with Yellow Card, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, so. That's awesome. I was going to ask you, did you meet Aaron when you went to the fat offices? Yeah, we had lunch with them and I'm pretty sure she was there. Yeah, They they have a little lunch room in their office and there was a bunch of their employees were there. Awesome. Yeah. I was curious, what happened with Honest Don? What happened as far as your contract with them? Oh, yeah, that was, I guess, Mike heard the album and like didn't want to release it and i don't know i've got a couple theories but he said it was like not really kind of up the alley of what they were maybe expecting i guess the fact that it was a little bit slower tempo and well it's um, just an eclectic record you know i still think it would have fit within the confines of honest dawns because they had bands that were a little bit slower and a little bit more experimental and i agree with that that was kind of the label for the different stuff in my mind so yeah Yeah. but um, it was also kind of like chronologically that was when we had sort of gotten off the road. And sometimes I wonder if that may have had something to do with it. Like we weren't super active at that time. Possibly, you know, like, yeah. Maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I know I'm asking a lot of questions about Inspection 12, but I'm just curious because around that time, our goal, Game Time's goal was to just get out on the road consistently. That was yeah. our only goal. And when we met Yellow Card, that was one of the reasons that became the goal because they were touring so much and they were working with Corey Christopher and they were telling us all the time, you guys just need to get out there, get out on the road and play as many shows as you possibly can. Just get in, in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Right. Did your band, The Softer Side or Inspection 12, did you guys have the same type of thought process or were you guys thinking we can go on little tours here and there, but we want to hang out mainly on the East Coast? Yeah. Was there ever a point where you thought maybe you guys would have to move to California? Um, I mean, we talked about little things here and there, but I think we definitely had aspirations like that initially. And then you mentioned that you guys went on tour with Whippersnapper. Yes. Yep. We toured with Whippersnapper. Were they on Kung Fu Records? I I was going to ask you that because I I almost thought, was it Lobster maybe? Maybe they were. Yeah. Maybe it was Lobster. I forget. (laughs) But I do remember that band. I had one of their albums. I was a really big fan of them. They were kind 
kind of riffy and fast. Yes. Really good band. Yep. Cool. Yeah. But after we did a couple tours, you know, when you do those smaller tours, it's not always as glamorous as you think it is. Oh, yeah. You know, not at all sleeping in a freezing van that breaks down <laughs> every couple of days. And yeah, so we were, it was definitely a reality check. I think after we did, I think three tours, two West Coast tours and one up the East Coast. Cool. And okay. I think after those three, like we were a little bit ready to go home for a while. And yeah, uh, yeah just and that's when we started recording Get Rad. So, okay. Yeah, cool. we had, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of Get Rad? Did you guys demo a ton for that record? Because there's, how many songs on that record? 18? Yeah, it's really long, man. Probably a little too long. <laughs> we demoed, I remember when we were in California, we demoed a few of the songs that this guy's a friend that we met out there had a little studio set up and we demoed. I know we demoed again. I think we did I'm Fine. And I think those recordings exist somewhere. I'm pretty sure Dan has them. Cool. But, uh, Do you remember we, who you demoed with? I don't remember the guy's name. It was just kind of a mutual friend of all the yellow card guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we didn't demo the whole record. We, Dan laid down like some, just some solo demos, him, just him and a guitar. Cool. And that's kind of how I came up with the drum parts off just listening to that stuff. Nice. Um, It wasn't Mike Green, was it? I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Because I know Yellow Card, they were demoing with him quite a bit. That was one of his earlier gigs. He was doing demos with them and he was working with a guy from Epitaph one of the producers there. I know he was doing a lot of the takeover stuff, so I didn't know if he okay. came in and helped you guys out, helped you demo some of the ideas. Gotcha. So we and then record- you went back to Florida to record the album? Yep. Yeah, we recorded it in Jacksonville. There's a studio called, there was a studio called Hole of the Pigeon. It was kind of in the Arlington area of Jacksonville. It was a house studio, but it was kind of where most of the bands in Jacksonville recorded. Cool. Really cool place. I, I think we did the first two softer side records there. We did Get Rad. that They recorded in recovery there. So yeah, we recorded it there. We did, I remember like... We did the, we took like a week to record the drums. It was definitely the longest I've ever spent recording an album. We we would just take our time. We didn't really have the parts worked out ahead of time. Like now when I record, I'm usually pretty prepped. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. We took our time. We figured out all the parts. We do like two or three songs a day, drum wise. Cool. That session was pretty much Dan and I and Pete. So at that point, Pete was in yellow card Mm -hmm. because we, like I mentioned, we had kind of stopped touring. And so Pete took that opportunity to join yellow card. So Dan and I pretty much did get read a lot of it ourselves, but Pete would fly in like whenever he had breaks or was in town, he would track his parts. Cool. Yeah. I remember specifically talking to the yellow card guys when you guys were recording that. And they were excited to hear it. And I knew they contributed to it, right? Sean did a little bit of the strings. Uh, and then Ryan did yeah, he, some yeah. guest vocals on one of the bridges. Yep. Yeah, Ryan sang on Nothing to Lose. I can't remember if Sean played on... I know Sean played on In Recovery. Maybe that's what I'm thinking but, of. But I remember yeah. he was the one that was telling us that he was really excited for the new Inspection 12 record. And you guys awesome. were recording it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they were just massive fans of you guys and Inspection 12 and... I know Ryan and Dan, they were close. They were good friends. Yep. Cool. Get Rad specifically, when that did finally come out and 
we had it in our hands. Actually, can you tell that story a little bit? In Recovery came out in 2001. Get Rad came out officially in 2004. I think, yeah, I think so. And it was on a different record label. Yeah, we we self-released Get Rad initially. Mm-hmm. And then it got picked up by a distributor called Floppy Cow. They distributed it over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think it was 05. Sorry, my cat's feeder just went off. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think in 05, TakeOver re-released it. Cool. TakeOver Records, yeah. I bet that was a huge deal for Ben, for sure. Definitely. That's really rad. Yeah, cool. Man. And then Suburban Home, did they release it? I thought I read that somewhere. Um, That sounds familiar. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We got a copy of it. We got a couple copies, I think. I can't remember exactly how that happened, but Game Time, that was a record that we were listening to all the time in the van get rad specifically we listened to in recovery a lot but i remember get rad was something that we all bonded over and it was one of those albums where we had the cd in the cd player of our van and we let it loop that's so cool man loved that record i have really fond memories of that record driving up and down the coasts of the east Uh coast and the west coast just listening to that record nice yeah it's a special record for us thank you you and dan you were at the helm and you had a little bit more time a little bit more space to make it the way you wanted to because it's a really eclectic record right yeah we definitely changed it up a bit quite a bit So that was a conscious decision on your part to really change things up a little bit and have a record that has a wide breadth of sounds and influences. Yeah, definitely. Like bring in more instrumentation. Yeah, I remember Dan kind of had the idea of bringing the tempos down a bit. Originally, I wanted to, you know, I was in like softer side, which was super fast. And if it was up to me, I probably would have recorded it faster. But yeah, we just figured, you know, bring in some different instrumentation. There's like cello on it. And we brought in a bunch of friends to record. Our friend Matt Grondin, who's an amazing guitar player, did the guitar solo on Feeling Like Freddy, which is really cool solo. Yeah. Awesome. He's a really talented player. Yeah. And then was there the singer of Stalemate, the band Stalemate? Yeah. Yep. Marco Quinn. Yep. He sang, I think that was the first song, Homesick. Yeah. He sang that kind of bridge part. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Game Time played with Stalemate. That was one of our first shows. Wow. And yeah. It's crazy, right? Like Where was we're, we're weirdly connected in a lot of different ways. I think Stalemate was really good, man. They were. They were awesome. They were a huge influence on us. When we first saw them play, we played at a church and it was one of our bigger first shows. And it was probably around 2001 when we played with them. But then I never heard about them again. Never once. Never found them online. Never had their record or anything. But I remember being blown away by them when we played with them. Yep. Mark's a great singer. Yeah. He's a phenomenal singer for sure. Almost sounds like a gospel singer. But I remember hearing his voice on Get Rad and I thought, that's the guy from Stalemate. It has to be. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's and I feel cool. like I just confirmed that for the first time looking at your Wikipedia last night. Yep. <laughs> small world, man. That's insane. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. But yep. did he end up joining any other bands or anything? Was he? Um, believe it or not. So a couple years after Get Red, Dan and I had a band called Sensei. I don't know that very few people probably even heard of this band, but it was kind of like the transition band between inspection 12 and john carver band like mm-hmm. we started a little project it was it almost was sort of like a 70s rock band in a way mm-hmm. but dan sang initially but then we brought in mark so mark actually sang for sensei for a short probably like a year or two 
Cool. Yeah. Did you guys ever record anything? We recorded, I think like five songs, just a demo. I have that, but we never released anything. Okay. Cool. So it was yeah. like a transition to the John Carver band. Exactly. Yep. Okay, cool. And you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how did Pete playing in Yellow Card, how did that change the dynamic of Inspection 12? I think that was sort of shortly after, like I said, we had stopped touring a bit. So I think it was kind of a downtime for the band in a way. Like I feel like there was a lot of transition going on. So of course I don't blame him for he had an awesome opportunity sure. to join Yellow Card. So but yeah, I mean, it definitely stopped. Like, I think at that point too, James was in medical school. So mm-hmm. it was pretty much just Dan and I. And so we decided to do the record. You know, obviously touring was kind of out of the picture at that point. But Pete was always down to play. Like he would play with us whenever he was back in town. We started doing, we still do Christmas shows like every December. He probably mm-hmm. may have seen that. Yeah. And I think it was around that time that we started the Christmas shows. And like, so Pete would always fly back and play them you know so it was just a different time for the band but we made it happen (laughs) yeah and pete he joined yellow card was it after warren right after warren i believe so yep okay i think it was yeah Yeah. and i remember when he joined because i knew warren and we were on warp tour with yellow card when they parted ways and then i think if i remember correctly pete helped write a little bit of ocean avenue yeah totally okay so did he help write any of the songs on get Um, he wrote feeling like freddie which was kind of like his ben folds yeah inspired song and he wrote i'm trying to think of course we redid some old i-12 songs for that record um out of my league Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure is a pete song and then new song wise, I feel like Dan wrote most of it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I can hear Dan's influence all over it with the melodies and some of the yeah the structures of the songs. And there's something about that record that's almost Broadway-esque to me. It almost sounds like a play. Wow. A lot okay. of the melodies are very reminiscent of seeing a play, where they go and the structure of it. Right. That's cool, man. That's very interesting. I don't know if he grew up on show tunes. I think I hear that influence. I definitely hear the Beach Boy influence and definitely you can call me Al. I'm sure he grew up on a lot of that stuff as well. Oh, yeah. He's a huge Paul Simon and yep. Simon and Garfunkel and everything. I know the yellow card guys did as well. Okay. So the other thing that you touched on that I actually think is really fascinating. When I first heard Get Rad, that was one of the things that I noticed too, was the tempo was slowed down a little bit. It had a reminiscent vibe to bands like Bad Astronaut, you know, okay. similar to how you had Lagwagon but then you had a much slower, more experimental version in the band Bad Astronaut. So it, it gave me a little bit of that feeling towards it, which I really liked. I really loved the Bad Astronaut stuff as well. Oh, yeah. But that's interesting, too. I wonder if that was a product of just growing up a little bit and maybe not listening to fast punk rock as much. Yeah. I feel like the tide of music was slowing down just a little bit. You had more palatable pop punk that was getting really, really popular. That was a little bit slower, but it had a lot of those fat records and epitaph influences. Sure. Well, cool. Okay. So you guys put out Get Rad. And then was there a conscious decision to be done with Inspection 12 after that? How did that happen? No, there was never really a conscious decision. I think it was just kind of, you know, Pete was in Yellow Card for a few years. We, like I said, we started that band Sensei. Right. And then we would still do like the Christmas shows every year. We we would still play here and there, but I guess it was just kind of a transition of, you know, not being as active as we had been. Mm-hmm. Um 
but we never, you know, I don't recall ever breaking up the band or anything. It was just a little bit of a change for the band. Yeah, that's cool. In the fact that it sounds like you guys all remained friendly. Oh yeah, definitely. There was we never did. an explosion moment where no, thinking, right? F this, I'm out of band. I'm <laughs> done with this. You would move on to something else. It was like you would transition into something else. You were trying different things, and it was really. I think it speaks to the fact that you guys really just love music, and you love lots of different types of music, and you were willing to try a lot of different types of music. Definitely, and That's- it all works too. I'm a big fan of the John Carver Band as well. What was the transition like into that band? I know you mentioned that you had. The sensei project for a little while and then that went into the john carver band so you guys did that for a while you're still technically doing that right that's still a project that could be active at some point yeah definitely yeah i mean we haven't done anything in a while but it's never really been put to bed that was just i remember at the time like dan was pretty into sufjan and you know like you said he's always been into paul simon and me too like i've always been into a lot of different stuff so i think we were just kind of looking to the future you know like we're not getting younger (laughs) so let's what kind of music do we want to play as we get older yeah so we just kind of like took some influences that we liked and john cover band is obviously like a polar opposite of i-12 it was really cool for me because i hadn't played like percussion instruments in a band before Mm -hmm. and with john cover band it was like a lot of shaker tambourines kind of incorporated with the kit so I don't think I have any footage of me playing that stuff but it was always like I'd have a music stand to my left and I would be like setting stuff down for the verse and grabbing something different for the chorus so it was a totally different way of playing which was cool I feel like it taught me you know I think it taught us dynamics a lot more like even if you go and listen to like the gentleman EP we did last year there's a lot it's kind of like I-12 is punkish but it's like got a good mix of dynamics like quiet parts i feel Mm. like the john carver band kind of helped us a lot with that like playing more dynamically quieter parts and you know yeah it speaks to your versatility too as a drummer oh thank you yeah being able to play punk rock and then being able to play something that's a lot more stripped down and like you said with a lot of percussion elements in it that's really cool yeah and i love dynamics too even for a rock record like the color and the shape one of the things i love about that record is you've got the really quiet verses and then the really bombastic loud aggressive choruses and things so that was cool i'm sure that was fun to play live too because it keeps you on your toes oh yeah it was it's really fun cool and you mentioned the gentleman ep which i'm a huge fan of when i listen to that i hear remnants of get I hear the influence and how did that come about? What made you guys want to revisit more of that fast skate punk sound and incorporate it into some new music? Yeah, that was pretty much Dan reached out to me. I guess he was kind of missing punk in a way. Mm -hmm. and just had the idea of doing a little punk project something new and so eric denton was in he was in sensei actually and then he ended up playing guitar in john carver band and so the three of us started gentlemen cool yeah and it was just to just to get back to the punk roots but we kind of talked about like making it a little bit different like i was saying a little bit more dynamic and just using the influence we've had over the years nice are you guys planning on making more music or you and dan do you guys plan on making more music we have nothing in the works right now but you know anything's possible as far as i-12 so the original singer rob reed Mm -hmm. is back in the band now and he's an awesome guy he's like great he's probably one of the funniest people i know like amazing stage presence yeah Uh, i've seen him in some of the 
videos and he sang on the 2014 full length. Yes. Yep. And that's called redefine redefine. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the next iteration of inspection 12, which is really cool. You guys are keeping it going. You're still doing the annual holiday shows and that record's great. That record's awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah, Are so you... we're actually demoing. I've been working with Pete a little bit and we're working on some new stuff, probably an EP, but we're cool. hoping hoping to get started recording here pretty soon. Awesome. Do you know where you'll record it? Most likely in Jacksonville. My buddy has a studio called Endangered Wiseman in the Riverside nice. area of Jacks. We'll probably most likely do it there. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. And an EP potentially. Do you guys have some demos that you've already worked on? We've got one that has drums on it. And then Pete's been sending me some stuff that I need to lay down drums over. So we're just kind of getting started. Cool. And when Pete sends you songs, what, I mean, I'm just curious as to what it's going to sound like. What do his demos or his ideas sound like? Is he wanting to revisit the punk rock elements or the skate punk elements? Or is he he wanting to continue on being a little bit more experimental? Yeah, it's definitely a mix. I feel like this new stuff is a little bit faster, kind of back to the roots, I would say. But it's still dynamic. It's I mean, he wrote a lot of the stuff on Redefine. Mm -hmm. So it's still got a lot of that similar dynamic. But I do think the tempos are a little bit kicked up back to the old style. Cool. Yeah. There's something about revisiting a lot of the punk rock from my youth. Obviously, there's the nostalgic part of it. But I think I feel so connected to it. I've spent more than two decades with it. Right. And it's cool how there's been a bit of a resurgence of fast, aggressive bands. I think you probably know what I'm talking about as far as the scene goes. It seems like there's even Facebook groups where people are celebrating skate punk and there's a lot of new bands coming out that I've just recently discovered in the last year and a half or so. Bands like Chaser or I think really the first record that caught my attention was much the same when they put out that full length with Nick Diener. It was almost like I had really been missing that style of music. And I really love that record, that new record that they put out. I think that's inspired game time just to start making music again as well yeah just because it's fun and the music's not necessarily the most popular music of the moment but while at the same time i think there's people who yearn for hearing aggressive music and fast music and distorted guitars and loud drums and organic drums and definitely yeah so that's cool man yeah i was gonna say i listened to both of y'all's songs man i think it's cool that you guys are back at it after what like 15 20 years yeah we broke up officially in August of 2004. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, thanks man. It's been fun. It's been totally weird, but yeah. It's great, man. I love that. The first song you guys put out the fast one is I love it. It's so good. Thanks, love dude. The guitar parts. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I wrote that song almost 10 years ago. I demoed it just for fun because I was teaching myself how to record Mm -hmm. and I did all the music for it and I programmed out the drums and it was a total shot in the dark. I just hit up my friend Kyle, who's got a studio. I said, do you think there would be a way for me to finish this song? And he said, yeah, absolutely. We can make it happen. Nice, so man. I think it was just in asking. Sometimes you just have to right. ask if something's possible and then start moving towards it. But no, I appreciate it, man. I will definitely be stoked to hear some new Inspection 12. That is awesome. a very exciting thing. I'm going to tell my band members as well because, yeah, they're all huge fans. Thank you, man. You've been doing a lot of drum videos recently. I've noticed on YouTube and you've been posting it on your Instagram. Do you have fun making those and are you going to continue making more? Yeah, definitely. I think I am. 
I enjoy it. I feel like it's a challenge. The way I've been approaching it is like, I'll just pick a song. Sometimes I'll just pick the song the day I record it and um, just listen to it like a few times through. And then I'll play it. I'll just like hit record on my cameras and I'll just play it through like until I get a full take of the song. Yeah, so, you're happy with. Yeah, exactly. I don't edit it or anything. And I I really like it because it's a challenge. It helps me to learn. Every time I learn a song of like written by a different drummer, it's like I kind of pick up something that they do that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, dude. It's the exact same for guitar. Yeah. So yeah, like I like that challenge. And also I've always really liked recording like just being in the studio i like that you know i like when they hit record and there's that pressure of getting a good take and it's so rare that like i feel like i have to wait so long between studio sessions so with this it's like i can do it i just film those in in my house so i can do it whenever i want to yeah so it's yeah it's cool to have that freedom and that autonomy to do it whenever you want right exactly yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed now with recording these songs, these new game time tunes. We're doing them once a month or once every other month, whereas before we'd have to save a bunch of money to go into the studio. It still costs money to record these songs, but the ability to create something and then put it out there, there's a quick turnaround time, which I appreciate. Yep. Even with these podcasts, I get the same feeling recording these podcasts as releasing anything else. And it's something that I can just put out immediately. And what's cool is even with music, if you're going to put it on Spotify, they have to basically check it and make sure you're not ripping somebody else off or you're not just using somebody else's music. So there's a little bit of a lag time. There's a little less than a week usually. With podcasts, it goes up immediately. There's no lag time. Right when you upload it, yep. Yeah, which is cool. Cool. Are you guys planning back to game time? Are you guys going to keep making new music or? Yeah, I think we are. We've got more songs. I've got more demos that are essentially done. They just need some vocals and to be mixed by our buddy Kyle. So we're definitely doing at least one more. I would love to do 10 more. That would be the goal. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to do a full length. length. At the very least, it'll be an EP, a fully complete tangible product of some type. But yeah, we're talking about potentially doing a pre-order for maybe some merchandise, cover our costs for the the new songs and stuff. And right. But yeah, I think we're going to keep going just because it's fun and life-giving and doable. That's the thing. You know, it used to be so far-fetched because of the, I mean, you know, the logistics of it, the logistics of recording can be a tricky thing to navigate, but it's nice knowing that we can record with our buddy in his house and he's got tons of great equipment and we can have a product that we're proud of afterwards. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how you can just send stuff back and forth so easily now. Yeah. We're tracking another softer side EP as well. Cool. And Scott's up in the Boston area and like, he's not even planning to come, come down. You know, we're just going to send him the, send him the stuff. And I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I should mention, I'm a huge softer side fan as well. I've been listening to you guys for a long time now and really love your stuff. Really excited. Cause I remember seeing that you mentioned that you were going to eventually record some new things and that's very, very cool. Yeah. Great band. One of the members of the software side was just on Jets podcast, right? Weren't they talking melancholy? Yeah, Scott, that's Scott who's up in Boston. Yep. I think okay, he cool. was on, he was on the supporting cast propaganda episode and then he was on the life on the plate. That's so rad. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah he's a great guy, man. He's super nice. He does He's actually done a ton of design for our bands throughout the years. He's really good at design. Like he did all the softer side artwork. Cool. Um, and like he did, we put out a bunch of merch on Epic Merch Store. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. B- both bands recently and he did all that. So he's awesome. Super talented. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's rad. When I saw there was inspection 12 and softer side merch, I was like, yes, that's awesome. Nice. man. That's really cool. Is it a print to order situation yeah. with them? Yeah. Okay. It's all, such a cool business plan. So yeah, they, you can kind of tell they kind of have the punk market corner yeah. there. They have tons of bands, right? So yeah, you just pretty much send them your designs. And then whenever they get an order for anything, they'll print it and ship it out from there. I love it. Yeah. So we don't have to hold in, hold on to any inventory or anything. Yeah. That was always the, the difficult part of doing all the merch back in the day. Cause we would have just boxes and boxes of merch and you just hope you sell all of the pieces. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, my last apartment, like I had a closet full of shirts, sweatshirts. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I still have some shirts and CDs at my parents' house and boxes. Right. Yeah. We have tons, man. I think Pete has like a few thousand CDs get read. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's cool though. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I still have mine somewhere. It's definitely in a box. I've got all my CDs. I've still got like these two massive CD booklets that have all of them, but then I've got all of the cases in boxes. (laughs) I need to get those out at some point. I meant to mention this too when we were talking. I think I 12 played in Kansas City. Really? I wanted to ask you. I don't, yeah, like I wanted to ask, did you remember anything about that or? I'm pretty sure we never got to see Inspection 12 live. I don't think I've ever seen you guys live, which is really unfortunate because you guys were such a special band for us we would have all gone and sung every word so i'm wondering do you remember where you guys played do you remember the venue or yeah i don't and i was curious can you name any venues around yeah yeah yeah. so kansas city and lawrence kansas where i live they tend to get conflated with each other because they're similar but they're about 40 minutes apart so in lawrence there's venues like the bottleneck liberty hall which is a bigger venue the granada those are like the most famous iconic venues in lawrence kansas and then back in the early 2000s a lot of them are largely gone now but in kansas city there was El Torreon, there was New Earth Cafe, there was the Hurricane, which they did primarily 21 and up shows. I didn't see a ton of shows there when I was a kid. The Beaumont Club is where Yellow Card played a lot and it was a bigger venue. It was more like a uh, 2000 cap room. Okay. But beyond that, I'm not sure where you guys may have played. It may have been smaller. I remember it was, it was definitely downtown St. Downtown. Louis. Yeah, and I can't, I want to say... I want to say like, St. Louis. Yeah, maybe I'm sorry. Is that near St. Louis? Was pretty yeah. Lawrence. St. Louis and Kansas City. They're about four hours apart. So you guys may have played oh, the Creepy Crawl. Yeah, that, Mississippi that's Nights. what it was, man. Yep. That uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That was a great, cool punk venue. It was a smaller venue. We played there quite a bit. So if you go to YouTube and watch the Story of the Year video for Until the Day I Die, that's actually huh. at the Creepy Crawl. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it might ignite some memories. They still have all the stickers on the wall. And there's a portion of the video where they've got the camera just on the stinger and he's in the backstage area. Okay. He's just sitting on a couch. Okay, man, yeah. that's crazy because, yeah, I could. I actually just wrote down Creepy Crawl, so I'll remember that. Cool. Was yeah, there a, a lot of great room? venues there. Was there a little room like right next to the stage? Like, was it like a yeah. stage and there mm-hmm. was like a room where the bands hung out and like put their... Yep. 
Here, yeah, totally. yeah. If you watch the video for "Until the Day I Die," it's like a live video where they're playing on the stage, yeah. And then it cuts away to the singer, and he's sitting in that room. He's sitting on the couch. Wow, man, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fun. Every time I want to think about the creepy crawl because it's not there anymore, unfortunately. I go to that video. You can still see "Don't Look Down" stickers on the top of the thing, and it's just cool. We also played some shows with "Don't Look Down" too. I meant to mention that. We, yeah, dude, we did, great band. We, yeah, we didn't do a full tour with them, but we did. We did a little run with them, I think, like four or five shows in a row. So. I was such a fan of those guys, man. We were lucky. We got to play with them quite a bit. Nice, man. Did you guys tour yeah, on? We did. For a small local band, yeah. we tried to get out there as frequently as possible. Okay. Cool, man. Very cool. Well, dude, I appreciate your time today. I want to be respectful of your time. I really just have one other question, and it's one that I've been asking recently just because it tends to come up a lot just with what I do day-to-day -day for a living. But do you have any exercise regimens that help you stay in shape or any that help you with drums specifically because you have to have a certain level of conditioning just to be a drummer oh did it freeze again how you doing man <laughs> we're back we're back we did it <laughs> internet be damned i know jeez well dude i probably cut out at some point rambling but i appreciate you doing this i appreciate you talking to me today oh absolutely uh, man this is fun man we'll definitely have to stay in touch because i'm very excited to hear new inspection 12 and the softer side it's exciting just the prospect of getting new music i feel so grateful for it these days i mean not to sound too cheesy but it's a gift bands like ours we literally do it because it's so fun and it's so life-giving exactly it's a labor yeah. of love man it is a labor of love absolutely yeah i couldn't describe oh. it better it's not like we're making a ton of money <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. it's usually the opposite usually there's a little bit of something that we have to pay into in order to make this thing happen and to facilitate the creation of new music just the fact that you guys are talking about doing new music i am just very appreciative of the, of that the last question i had for you do you have any exercise regimens that help you stay in shape and do you have any that specifically help you with drums because I feel like you have to have a certain level of conditioning just to play drums. Yeah, definitely. I've always done cardio pretty regularly. So like earlier this year, I would run. I had a good stretch for a few months where I was running like a mile and a half per day. But my left knee, some left knee pain going on. So I kind of switched to we got a bike at the house, just exercise biking. So I'll do that like a few days a week. And like stretching is pretty big for me. I'll try to, I haven't really been going to yoga. I was doing yoga before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But um, ever since that, yeah, I've just been kind of doing YouTube yoga. Cool. Yeah. So just like cardio a few days a week. I definitely have to keep up with cardio to play drums and also just playing drums in itself is a pretty good workout. I've got a little Garmin watch and I'll keep an eye on my heart rate and it, it gets up there when you're practicing drums. So it's absolutely a good workout. <laughs> yeah. It's a cardio workout in and of itself, right? Yep. Yeah. Definitely requires a certain level of conditioning. And I think you condition yourself when you play. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I'm like you. I stopped going to yoga due to the pandemic and I haven't been back since. I'm hoping I can go back. We were doing, which is crazy because I never thought I would do it because I've been a weightlifter for a little over a decade now. And I was okay. never, I never lifted weights when I was a kid. That was, you know, the furthest thing from what I wanted to do back then. Right. I remember the cover of Life in General by MXPX. I always assumed weightlifters were the bully that's holding the punk kid in that <laughs> <Right>. photo. <laughs> yes. So, 
Yeah. And an interesting turn of events that I started lifting weights, but I'm not a massive dude by any means. Yeah. Even gone a fairly yeah. 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 My gym's been closed since COVID too, but I would like, I used to go like every Saturday and just do minor weight training. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I miss yoga though. We were doing hot yoga before. And oh, wow. I've playing. never done it. It's cool, dude. It's, it's okay. different. You know, I always assumed that it was going to be totally weird and uncomfortable, but yeah. there is something cathartic about going into a room that's incredibly hot and doing yoga and then you leave and it's like endorphin overload there's something about the heat there's just something therapeutic about it i don't really know how to describe it other than that the place that we were going they had really great instructors and they had a lot of regressions because i was so new and obviously not as flexible as somebody that's doing yoga for many years so it was completely new to me and it was foreign but it was good for me to get in some of those positions because it acted as mobility sure i'm hoping i can get back to it at some point that's cool yeah it's like you get the stretching but you also get the sweating out of the toxins absolutely yeah Yep. Feels more, I don't know, cathartic for lack of a better word. I don't really know. Okay. There's something mindful about it too, because you're just trying to get through it. Cause it's, right. it's, it's pretty it's arduous, it's pretty difficult. Just the fact that it's so hot, you literally crank the heat. Wow. Okay. I might have to try it now. Yeah. Yeah. Once they're back open to normal operating hours <laughs> and everything, that might be something worth trying for sure. Right. Cool. Tim, dude, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm a fan of all the things that you do. I like watching your drum videos too. Those are always a lot of fun. I hope you keep making them. Thanks again for chatting with me today. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you're ever in the Midwest and you're in Kansas City or Lawrence or anything, or you're planning on coming here, hit me up and we'll grab coffee or something. Will do. Yeah, it would be great to meet in person. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right, cool. Cool. Well, have a fantastic rest of your weekend, okay? It's Saturday. Yeah, you got the whole weekend ahead of you. Yeah. Well, thanks again and take care. I'll be in touch. All right. See you, All right, buddy. Thanks. All right. See ya. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 